Here we are, final episode of 2018, and it feels somewhat apropos that it contains uh, concepts of differing perspective and the opinion, the idea that two people can say completely different things that are not congruent and still not be lying. Oh, and sexual allegations while we're on the subject. That's just, that's just 2018 in a nutshell, isn't it? And that's exactly what I want to talk about when I got into talking about Star Trek, of all things. No, I, I do have some things to talk about. It's just, yeah, can we leave all that at the door? Is that something we could do? Just as a preface, thank you. Hope you all had a good Christmas. Apparently, Christmas Day is actually happening on a DS9 episode. I'm not sure which. I haven't mathed that out yet, but I'll figure it out. I like this episode. In fact, I would go so far as to say I like this episode a lot. It's not my favorite episode, but it's at least like tier two, right? Like that tier one, which is the best, which I'm always in favor of watching. And then there's like tier two, which is like, yeah, I'm up for watching that. Now, I mentioned that because, I'm sorry, I should have asked the question before I gave my opinion, but I've already mentioned my opinion in previous episodes. This is one of my favorites, right? So here's my question for you. Don't worry, this is just goldfish. I'm just getting this out of the way. What do you think of this episode? Before I say anything else, I would especially like to know how long it's been since you watched it, because I know some of you are watching it with me, and some of you are just commenting and haven't watched the series in a few years. The reason I ask that is apparently three separate people all can't stand this episode. Ronald D. Moore and Michael Piller both said, nah, to this episode, and Ira Stephen Bear flat out said he hated it, that he found this to be the worst episode of season three. Which I find hysterical, given you know, given the evidence. It's like, really? And near as I can tell, I can't figure out why. There are certainly some logical loopholes in this episode. Really, there are. But I think they took a smart concept and did some interesting stuff with it. And I think they even managed to make the threat of the week not crap. Which brings me to my next point. I've mentioned before how I'm against the idea of there has to be a such-and-such in an episode because there has to be a such-and-such. Like, that's what my big complaint is about. You can make a Thread of the Week work. You can make a Romance of the Week work. You can make a Will-They-Get-Home-Again plot work. What bothers me is when you're doing it because you have to and how that just kind of diminishes the significance or impact of it and how much it kind of gets in the way of creative writing. Certainly limitations can encourage creative writing, but this is more like you have to include, which can be like, okay, you have to write a story, it's going to be a murder mystery novel, oh, and you have to include a giraffe in it, in a significant way. It's like, okay, I, I, okay, I'll try to figure something out, right? I tend to be against the idea of you know, bullet points that are mandatory when it comes to writing. But credit to this week, the threat of the week was actually done very well. See, the threat of the week is the Krieger waves. They had this all idea set up. The, the, the ship, ex you know, the station explodes and Riker's like, oh, I'm innocent. And then, you know, we, we've got to have some way to make there be a threat. There has to be a threat of the week. And the gentleman Krieger himself, the guy for whom the waves were named, actually came up with the idea of, well, why not... I mean, we're recreating this thing on the holodeck, right? Why not have the holodeck be acting as a conduit for the real Krieger waves and thus start hurting the ship? That's quite brilliant, in my opinion. And, of course, serves as the linchpin for satisfying the episode. Also, knowing that they, didn't, they hadn't written that when they already had the structure of the episode made kind of makes the last scene make a bit more sense. Because if you pay attention, forgive me for skipping ahead, Picard lays out a lot of his side of the argument using pre-existing uh, testimony. 
without introducing any new evidence. He just presents things and shows the connecting points between them, which anybody who was paying attention probably noticed anyways. Then he comes in with the clincher. You can kind of tell that the former part was written before they had the idea of the latter part in there. Anywho. So that's, that's some nice stuff. Uh, let's talk about the episode proper. Picard is not good at painting, and I say that as someone who is not particularly that great at art. I mean, yeah, I took years, years, years of, uh, of art classes of various types, but I still say I am at best terrible at art. And I'm still pretty sure I could do a better job than Picard's painting. I have two questions about this scene, though. Question number one. Is that a crew member they're painting? If you don't understand why I bring this up, I want you to imagine for a moment that one of your co-workers has, that you, has shown up at work naked in, in an acceptable manner. It's, like, it's not like they just show up without clothes one day. But they're like, all right, we're doing a new modeling thing. And one of your co-workers shows up and just strips down and right there. And, and you work with that person. Like, whether or not you feel any kind of attraction to this person, that's just going to add all new levels of awkward to the situation, right? And Data never references who or what they're painting, which I find interesting. He flat out states, this is Lieutenant such-and-such who is painting, this is Ensign such-and-such who is painting, but not the target. Which leads me to my second question. Is that just a hologram? Because that actually might make a little bit more sense, given the circumstances. I mean, you know, here, computer, present a nude model. There we go, okay. Here, go painting. That would make a little bit more sense than, oh, Ensign Wildman. Okay, bad example because that's a real character. But, you know, Ensign Babina, did you mind coming over here and standing here, you know, just reclining here naked for a while so we could paint you? <laughs> I mean, wow. Uh, excuse me, wow. Anyways. <laughs> so, the other thing I, I want to br bring up in this scene is it's interesting how Data tries to spare Picard's feelings on the matter. Now, I like that. It's one of the reasons I'm willing to forgive this scene, because otherwise the scene is just filler. It's just padding. I'm willing to forgive it because it shows some additional growth in Data as a character. If this was back in Season 1, Data would look at the painting and immediately say, well, this is terrible. And he, would, he wouldn't say it's terrible. He would say, well, this is an inferior rendering of such and such and such and such, and this is in, in, inexplicably here and that, and there's obviously an attempt to invoke this thing, but it's failing miserably, and you know, he would just dice it to shreds. Data doesn't do that here, though. No, this is season three data. He's been learning. He's been growing. And so you could see he's, he just, he just kind of says, and at first he doesn't say anything. He's like, it's interesting. It's interesting. And Picard's like, okay, how is it interesting? And it's only when data is prompted that he finally starts being honest about it. And I like that because it shows he's starting to understand societal... Uh, Interactions is the word I want to use there. Especially poignant in the wake of Deja Q, where Data was the one trying to help Q understand societal interactions. Anywho. So, they be, they're ready to beam Riker aboard. And there's a subtle touch that I do credit the episode. Riker sounds pissed. He's like, I'm ready to leave now. Like, Jonathan Frakes gets across just in that voice clip, which they play like five times in the episode, that he is very unhappy with this assignment, and he just wants to go home. Please. Ugh, please. Okay, okay, finally. A couple points, if I may. 
While I understand why they might not want to bring this up in the episode, it would be beyond easy to prove that Riker is innocent in this case. In fact, we, the audience, know with total certainty that Riker is innocent in this case. No, not just because it's Riker. Because of the fact that everything that happens, he beams aboard, he comes aboard, and he's just standing in his normal pose. Right? Not, I have a weapon out having just shot someone. No one even brings that up. He also um, doesn't know anything about the explosion, acts legitimately shocked when he finds out about it, uh, oh yeah, the transporter can also detect weapons and deactivate them in transport. That's happened more than once already. And in fact, the transporter, as a later episode in this season will show, can actually detect when a weapon is in discharge, or was about to discharge. The most toys, if you're wondering. So, we have all of the technology in the world to show that, yeah, no, Riker didn't shoot nothing. Yeah, an energy beam came from his position, but it sure as hell wasn't him. And we could prove that um, definitively. Now, I could argue that they would say, you just want to do everything in your power to make this blah, 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 blah. But the thing is, if their argument is that Starfleet is not willing to adhere to the local legal system in order to protect their officer by giving them falsified data, then there's no reason for them to pursue this at all if they believe that's the tact they'd take. Because they exist... I don't have a better way to say The only reason they could ever take Riker at all is at Starfleet's pleasure, Right? The guy even flat out has a, a pretty good, actually, discussion with Picard about this. Now, I actually reviewed the, those regulations just earlier. You have to adhere to the local uh, legal system, which is an interesting point, by the way. The idea that a ship has to adhere to the legalities of the planet or, or territory that it is within or in orbit of is an interesting concept and one that I feel that fiction hasn't really explored to the depths that it probably should. If you don't understand why, think about how v different and diverse the legal systems are across just Star Trek, which is relatively homogenous. Never mind something like Star Wars or something else. The idea of, or Battletech is another good example here. The idea of, you know, I, I mean, even here, I, I live in the United States, obviously. Each state here in the States has different rules, different regulations, different laws. There are certain things which are completely illegal to the point of imprisonment, in one state, and completely acceptable in another state. So you could see how that, that's just in a local example. Imagine on a galactic level, right? So whose jurisdiction applies where and which laws apply when? That's an interesting system that, well, that could certainly get bogged down and frankly be a hassle. I do think there's some more fiction that could be done to analyze that work. It was one of the first things that occurred to me. Do they, do they really have jurisdiction here? And apparently Starfleet says that they, they have jurisdiction in the area they're in, which is just, which is insane, actually, just to be as blunt as I possibly can. That Federation just says, legally, oh no, you have to adhere to the local laws while you're nearby. <laughs> Anyways. And yes, I, obviously we have to respect other people's laws, duh. I, I'm not saying we don't need to do that. I'm just saying if we're just to say, like, what is to prevent a planet from saying, legally all such and such now belong to us, and then a ship shows up and says, oh, well, legally that belongs to us now, because, oh, you have to follow our rules, you're in our territory. I mean, that's just abusable beyond measure, is what I'm trying to say. Never mind actual under misunderstandings like this one. That's another thing. There are two points that are made in the episode that I missed as a kid. Point one. In the legal system of this planet, I don't remember the name, please forgive me, uh, you are guilty until proven innocent. I'm trying so hard not to say something controversial right now. Please, please respect that. <laughs> Second point. Um, the 
they are willing to take hearsay as evidence. Now, let's explain hearsay really quick. Uh, let's say I'm going to the theaters tomorrow to see Ant-Man 2. <laughs> Just random example, right? Um, and I'm like, all right, I go to the theaters, and there's this guy, and he's like, Wah! and he punches someone. Holy crap, he punched that person. That is me giving testimony. You know, the cop comes by and says, what did you see? I say, well, I saw him run up and punch the guy. Okay. Now let's say I tell that story to, I don't know, you. Whoever you happen to be. Now let's say a cop approaches you and says, can you give me testimony on that? That is hearsay. And in most cases, that is not legally admissible evidence for reasons that should be self-evident. That is me telling you something. In fact... As an interesting point of note, uh, there are several points in this episode where they demonstrate the one-dimensional nature of the legal system on planet What's-Its-Face. By contrast, Picard actually does several things legally very uh, adept. Uh, the most biggest, the most obvious one being what I referenced earlier. He uses pre-existing testimony in order to corroborate. Corroboration is a much stronger legal defense. If I say that guy punched him, and third, who's with me, says that guy punched him, then our two evidence combined now makes that a much stronger case legally than if I said he punched him and third says, well, I didn't see anything like that. That just destroys that evidence in a, in a, in a court system, in a case system. It might still go. That's always up to the lawyers, to the judges, to the, to the jury, if there is a jury. You know, there's always, it's always a malleable thing. There's no such thing as concrete laws, but... If I say it versus we both say it, you could see why it's so much stronger. And Picard goes out of his way to corroborate points between all of the, all three testimonies given so far. None of uh, the gentlemen, the uh, ins inspector, doesn't actually bother to do that at all. He just presents testimony and says, all right, we good. Like, am I done? Can I go home? Again, I'm trying so hard not to go into controversial topics here. Anyways... We also, so let me talk about one other thing, if I may. One of the things I've, I've found is that I like this episode more now that I'm an adult. I remember be, watching this episode as a kid when it came out and being just pissed at the episode. Do you know why? I bet you can guess. I'll give you a moment to guess. It's because Riker's innocent. And he's so obviously innocent. Again, because of the way they present it, because of the information we have it available, and because of the fact that it's frickin' Riker. We, the audience, know with total certainty that Riker is innocent. The only way this is, this is on Riker is if he's being possessed by an alien or replaced by a shape-changer, right? Which is something me and Mom were actually discussing at the time. Otherwise, he's innocent. And yet these people are like, oh, he's totally guilty. And I, I just remember as a kid being so frustrated about how stupid they were being. The reason this is better for me as an adult is because they do add some interesting nuance to things. There's a, actually a surprisingly good scene where Riker is, let's just say this as bluntly as we can, he's accused of sexual harassment and rape, attempted rape, excuse me, and of actually uh, you know, assaulting, I believe that would qualify as assault, it might be uh, battery, I'm not actually sure, but basically punches the hell out of the, the scientist, right? Now Riker is pissed about that. And he is right to be pissed about that. If someone walked up to you and accused you of those kind of horrible things, you'd probably be pretty pissed too. Never mind someone who has, well, let's be honest, a fairly squeaky clean kind of a, a record as Riker does. Well, Riker kind of has that sort of... <sighs> familiar. I'm trying to think out of phrases. Riker is good. I'm, I'm sorry, I know that's a terrible way to put that, but for all of Riker's predilections towards sexual activity or flirting, 
Riker's the kind of guy who he doesn't even lean in that direction at all. He is squeaky clean. He's probably the most squeaky clean person on the Enterprise. It's actually part of his character. This actually came up in season three where there's this bit where he was attracted to, I can't remember her name right now, Maya, Aya, something like that, the woman in um, The Vengeance Factor. But he wanted an equal. He wanted her to be attracted to him. It's Yeah, you're hot, but we need something else going on here other than attractiveness. Remember that? You can't tell me Riker would be the kind of person to put unwanted advances on someone. You can't, because he wouldn't. And he knows he wouldn't, and Troy knows he wouldn't, and Picard knows he wouldn't, and you and I know he wouldn't. That's just not his character. Now, there's a couple of nice little touches. As they break for recess after the aforementioned accusation, Picard doesn't say anything, but he just puts a hand on Riker's shoulder for a second and then leaves. I liked that. Nice little touch. You know, he's trying to be as neutral in this as he can. He's basically acting as an arbiter. But that arm, that hand is still there like... I'm still on your side, Will. I know you're innocent. We're going to make this work somehow. And, of course, Troy stays with him, and Riker's just like, I, I, I don't know. I can't deal with this. I, that didn't happen. You could tell, right? You could tell that she was lying because Troy's a freaking telepath. And Troy says, no, it wasn't a lie. And Riker flips out about that. What? That didn't happen. And Troy's like, no, 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 no. I know you didn't do that. You don't have to prove that to me. But this is the episode's point. Because this is not a written, this is not an exact record of what happened. This is the slanted, and I'll talk about that in a second, uh, testimony of two, three separate people who give surprisingly similar accounts on the same events. That's not a, an absolute proof. That's not what actually happened. Anybody can understand that. Let me give you an example from my personal life. I have this thing I call analytical mode, you know, analysis mode, right? I got to turn that on. When I turn that on, I am paying attention a lot. I don't catch everything, of course, because, yeah, right. I'm not data or anything like that. I think my awareness score is like three. But, you know, but point is, whatever I do catch, I record and I pay attention. I jot notes and I do my whole system that I do for these ruminations and for lore runs and for premiere runs and blah, 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 right? When that is off, I like to think of it as I'm not really retaining data. As in, a lot of the stuff I do just doesn't get saved. I don't bother trying to remember things that happen. So, for example, the last time I went to the grocery store, which I think was about last Tuesday at this, I'm not even sure, which kind of get, is making my point for me. Um, I couldn't tell you, like, the people I met. I couldn't even tell you the person who checked me out, even though I'm familiar with most of the, the people who work at that store. I could tell you the gentleman who packed my bags. He's a guy. He's really cool. He and I chat every time I go through there. But that's about all I got. I couldn't tell you what we talked about. I couldn't tell you, like, any engaging points of interest. I couldn't tell you what I bought off the top of my head. All of these kind of things I can't tell you because I wasn't bothering to retain them. Now, I bring that up because if you are, <laughs> if you are asked to stay, this is exactly what happened, and someone is basically treating what you say as red... You can't, the human mind is naturally inclined to fill in those blanks with something, even if that is impressions, emotional inferences, or outright fabrications. You are not lying, but what you are saying is not factually true. You're not even deceiving, but what you are saying is not true. Make sense? It's the third level of deception, the one where you are not intending to deceive. Now, 
let's look at the exa- the, the the different perspectives that uh, Riker and Manwa or Manva or whatever her name was the the wife uh, both gave both of them gave surprisingly similar testimony. I mentioned that earlier, right? And yet both of them were slanted. Riker's was slanted more towards being the professional businessman, being the Starfleet officer. And hers was slanted more towards her being the dutiful wife. Because of course they were. A, they probably want to give across that impression, even if only subconsciously, and B, there's a chance they actively are saying something that is effectively not completely true, because of the fact that that of the circumstances surrounding it, if you were a woman who was cheating around and a just, gentleman who just died, do you think you'd be open about that? Do you think you'd be willing to testify in court? Oh yeah, I was totally sleeping with Riker. He was hot. Oh my god. Would you say that? Of course not. At least you probably wouldn't be inclined towards it. And of course, Riker probably does not want in front of all his friends and comrades to see him hornballing. And yet, this is why I call it slanting. Because if you look at both of their testimonies, in my opinion, you can see the truth in between both. He leans too far this way, she leans too far this way. I guarantee you that Riker, who is a flirtatious person, was probably probably flirting with her. Probably very lightly. We've actually seen him do this before. In fact, we've seen him do this in Season 3. You know, just that kind of warm, flirty kind of smile. Oh, I can't wait to see. Lovely cooking. And if she came on to him... Honestly, I don't think he would be that opposed to that idea, at least not at first. He might eventually pull away, like he did back in Vengeance Factor, once he's like, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I could see Riker being like, oh, wait, you're married, hang on, right? I could see that, but that's not what we see. We see from him, him refusing entirely, and we see from her, him forcing himself on her. And both of those are not true. You get my point? They are slanted away from each other. Thus, looking at the middle, we get the real truth, or at least what I believe to be the real truth in this case. I believe Riker was flirting with her. I believe she was flirting back. And I believe that there was a little bit of hesitance towards the end there. He probably regretted it. She definitely regretted it. And so they tell a different version of the same events, because not just because they are actively mentally rewriting them, but because they are either subconsciously or, and this is the big one, emotionally rewriting those events. To say something that didn't happen did. And that's what I like about the episode. That point is done very well. And while there are some logical loopholes in the episode, I've already pointed out one. Uh, there's actually another one. They detect the beam going from Riker to the blast, right? Or to, to, the, to the station. Why don't they detect the other beam going from the station to him? I'm, I'm just wondering if they have the ability to detect with that level of precision that it went from this spot to this spot. Why can't they see the one from over here to this spot to this spot? We see what it looks like. It's not one-to-one. There are logical loopholes in the episode, but overall I still think it succeeds because of this core point. So, Riker presents the wife as flirty. The husband is aggravating and defensive. The wife... Note the wife's testimony starts just a little bit before Riker's, just to show how much of a dutiful wife she was. I am definitely yours, you're definitely awesome, and I would never think of sleeping with that extremely attractive man in the other room there. Never! Look, I'm not in favor of cheating either, but let's at least be honest with ourselves. Temptation does not mean sin. I'm sorry, that's actually a bad phrase because that sounds religious, but you get my point, right? 
Everyone gets tempted. Everyone thinks about it. This doesn't necessarily mean anything. But this is another reason why I mentioned that slanting thing, because we prefer to admit that we don't. I would love to say that I have never been tempted to cheat. It would be a lie. And I am not comfortable admitting that. But it is the truth. And when it comes to something like this, which is literally murder, never mind the destruction of... I like how nobody brings up the destruction of the space station. I, I feel so callous. It's like, yeah, a guy's dead, but Jesus Christ, that was a whole space station you just blew up. Anyways, when it comes to something like this, those kind of things need to go away. You remember the episode Dax? Season 1, DS9. There's a bit where this woman comes forward and admits Dax, uh, Curzon Dax, cannot be guilty of this crime because I was busy having sex with him. Now that's an uncomfortable thing to admit. And that's an unpleasant thing to present. But it was the truth. And in a circumstance that severe where the stakes were that serious, those kind of things need to be brought out. You follow? Anyways. Um, gosh, I think I've actually said all the things I really need to say about this. Oh, I do have one little thing. So even as a kid, I, there's, there was a certain point in the episode where it just kind of clicked with me what was going on. I know that sounds stupid, but give me a break. I was pretty young. Where I was like, oh, they're just telling their version of events. Right. And mom was like, yes, that's what's going on. But what sold it for me wasn't Riker's story or the wife's story. It was the assistant's story that the gentleman told her, right? And what really sold it was, you know, according to the statement, he walks in on Riker and wife lady. I'm sorry. I wrote down her name, but I can't read my own handwriting. Manwa? Something like that. Manwa? Um... And they're like, mwah, mwah, mwah. And then, you know, he opens the door and says, oh, how dare you? And Riker's like, no, wait. And then the scientist absolutely destroys Riker in a fight. Just like two punches and he's down. And I remember laughing out loud when I first saw that. Like, uh, like sitting there on the chair. We'd actually moved at this point, but we had the same chair. Just sitting there on the chair next to mom, just laughing out loud. Like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, old, frail scientist guy who probably eats like once a day if he remembers to, takes out Riker, who, in addition to being a Starfleet commander, regularly goes on commando raids. Uh-huh. <laughs> More than anything else, that one made me go, yeah, right, it's totally the truth. This is totally what happened. Oh, my goodness. Um... So then he, the guy mentions, you know, I've established sufficient evidence for trial. Now, I actually agree with him on that, as much as that sounds silly. But that's because you don't actually have to establish much to justify a trial. Um, there's specific niggling details about this that could be said with regards to the United States system and how it works here and how it varies from county to county. But the point is, I, I agree, at least on paper, with the idea that you don't need to establish much to justify a trial, a fair and just trial. I'm with that. And he has established. He's established motive, he's established method, he's established um, evidence. Even though it's flimsy as crap evidence, it is still evidence. Uh, although I would say the hearsay thing doesn't count for obvious reasons, but what the hell do I know? So, having stated that, everything the episode shows us is that they're legal system is uh, not good. Not as bad as the one in with the Edo and Justice. I don't think they're at that level, but I, they're still pretty bad. And so the, the implication I was always given, and this remained true this time through, is that him going to trial at all is a bad thing because the system is so wonky that he's screwed. 
Uh, this is something we covered a couple months ago, I think, actually, in DS9 with O'Brien being brought into a Cardassian trial. Just being brought to trial at all is a bad thing. So you can kind of tell how that's a dun-dun-dun method. So then Picard actually approaches things from a legal perspective and says, okay, hang on. Does the corroborating evidence thing, which I've mentioned twice already, and makes his theory, and it's a fairly strong theory, actually, if I was the judge in this case, and I heard, you know, the, the, the three testimonies as his evidence, and then Picard's usage of the three testimonies as his evidence, based on nothing else, presuming no other evidence exists, I'd give that to Picard. Probably because Picard actually did, a, did his frickin' job, whereas the other guy just said it was him. However, I do love one little additional detail. So, they replicate the incident... Excellent use of the threat of the week again. And everything explodes. The chairs and tables are still there, which I have used in the past as an evidence of the fact that they're actually replicated rather than just uh, transport, you know, uh, beamed in. Holodeck technology. I've talked about that before. Otherwise, they'd just be on the ground like, whoa! Right? Anyways. Um, and I love the dull look of surprise. Like, the scientist is like, all right, let's do this, let's do this. And he sees it going to the thing, and he just looks up like, huh? And there's just this, this sort of moment of, huh? And then he dies. <laughs> I, just, I just like to think that this, by all accounts, petty, aggravating, irritating man, who probably wasn't very good in bed. <laughs> I'm sorry, that doesn't matter. This, this little pissant, who was apparently going to try and, this is, of course, supposition, was going to try and sell weapons in order to, to f- furnish himself and his wife in riches, died basically like this. Huh? <laughs> Very appropriate. Um, I had a couple other notes, but I've kind of already made my point. Like the, the one thing I find interesting is that in all of their testimonies, the doctor is just aggravating, impatient, and temperamental. All of them agree on that point. <sighs> I always found that a little funny. I always figured, you know, based on the circumstances, that it would make more sense that, for example, the assistant would slant him in a more positive light, ignoring the fact that he took out Riker in a fight. I don't really have much else to say about this episode. I still enjoyed it. I really did. I hope you enjoyed it. <sighs> I am not looking forward to the comment section this week, I'll be honest with you, but I do hope to see you guys next year with more TNG.